1: I just gotta hit my intro. We should be live. And my intro works sometimes, sometimes it doesn't, but I loved it. Another episode so the typical skeptic podcast. I have a fascinating guest today. I have with me Joshua Kutchen. He's been on my show before, um, but he, he's very advanced in his thoughts on, in, on the alien hypothesis. And uh, we're going to talk about that tonight with, with his views on the afterlife and the paranormal. Um, a little bit more about my guest. Joshua Kutchen is a North Carolina native with a long-standing interest, long-standing interest in 14 He holds a master's in music literature and a master's in journalism from the university of Georgia and currently resides in Roswell, Georgia. He's the author of two books, a Trojan piece. Oh, more than that now, but this, uh, Fairies and Sasquatch, in 2016's A Brimstone Deceit, an all-in-depth examination of supernatural sense, otherworldly odors, and monstrous ma- maismas. Both are published by Anomalous Books. Kutchen is also a published composer and maintains an active performing schedule as a jazz and rock tuba player, having appeared on eight albums and live concert DVDs. Joshua has appeared on a variety of paranormal programs discussing his work, including Coast to Coast AM, Mysterious Universe, and all different kinds of... Um, Subjects, but what we're going to be focused on tonight is something that I really like. Am interested in it's his new work. It's called the Ecology of Souls. It's a three volume series that ties in together UFOs, the paranormal, and the afterlife. So this is going to be really exciting. And uh, it's we are live. This isn't pre recorded. So if you guys have questions for Josh, you can put them in the chat, and then I'll 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 bring it up. But I'm yeah okay. So Josh, thank you for joining me. How are you? I'm I'm great
0: it's good to be here. Um I finally got my voice back. Uh I have uh, I have 4-year-old twins so I keep on getting the uh you know the the preschool cough keeps coming into my house. So I've it's, I've just gone, gone through a period of about 3 weeks here where my voice has been on a roller coaster but I finally saw the doctor and it seems to be doing a little bit better. So here's hoping it holds out for this.
1: I'm glad you're feeling better, man. That's great. It's glad to. I'm glad to have you back on. Now, what what I wanted to start with is this new book, The Ecology of Souls, where you tie in together the UFOs, the paranormal, and the afterlife. Now, to start off, I knew you drew inspiration from Whitley Strieber from a quote that his wife said. Can you talk about that?
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, I I know some people's um, assessment of Whitley might vary. So, the, the work isn't entirely based on Whitley, but. Uh, something that his wife Anne said uh, really sort of got the ball rolling in my mind which was uh, in the wake of communion they were receiving lots of letters from experiencers and during that time one of the things Anne was doing to help out was reading a bunch of this correspondence and trying to see if she sort of noticed any any, any um, correlations in what the people were writing and uh, Whitley's talked about this in several of his books but one of the things that she wrote down that she had noticed from time to time um, that she had noticed was this this phrase that she said this has something to do with what we call death and there's just so much in that phrase (laughs) um it's something that you don't expect to run into in the in the ufo question um but also you know that that lovely way of putting like what we call death which has this implication that death isn't quite what we understand it to be so that was part of my inspiration the other thing um that i think uh really drove this project is um something that always bugged me for a while um So anybody who's familiar with the work of Jacques Vallée um, can look to his 1969 uh, book, Passport to Magonia, which is, you know, one of my favorite UFO books ever. And I think he does a really good job in that book of illustrating how a lot of this modern um, alien abduction uh, mythos, and I, I say that fully believing that there's an objective reality to it. I'm not saying that to be dismissive like it's mythology, but um, a lot of the alien abduction scenario seems to harken back to a lot of these older uh, mythologies about the fairies and the fey folk, uh, especially from Western Europe, although, you know, you can find them everywhere, but there's something that goes unspoken in the background of passports and Magonia. And that is the fact that, uh, you know, a lot of these cultures, especially prior to the rise of theosophy in the, in the late 19th century, um, really conflated and commingled the dead with the fairies you know they weren't these nature spirits that everybody talks about they were somehow tied with the dying process they uh, you know a lot of these stories people would visit a, a fairy palace and they'd see a dead neighbor or something so Valle is saying <laughs> this this ufo stuff looks a lot like the fairy stuff but the the, the, the dead look a lot like the fairy stuff too. So the question is, if you sort of use the transitive property, does that mean that the, that the dead have something to do with the UFO question? So that had always really bugged me um, because it's not something that I don't think sits well with a lot of us. You know, we want our UFOs over here, <laughs> our dead people over here. Um, and uh, I really wanted to dig in on that. So I thought I was just going to write, you know, a book, quick book on uh, the UFO dead connection. But the more I explored it, the more I just found that I would I would have to do one of two things I would have to either have to have these constant digressions as I was talking about the UFOs and the dead where I'd have to like spend another three paragraphs in between the point I was trying to make explaining it or I could just write a book that sort of explains all that background and then we can talk about UFOs so that's pretty much what I ended up doing and that's how volume one of uh, Ecology of Souls is it's, it's pretty much the background and volume two is the dead and UFO question with cryptids sprinkled in there too because once you start pulling on this thread you start to see it running through all of, of these paranormal phenomena um, whether or not it's objectively what's going on or not I don't know but there's definitely something there I think
1: yeah i i I think there's something going on it seems like these uh, these things are going on in like what we would call the astral and i was thinking maybe the astral the dream world the alien abduction world the shamanic world they're all tied together because a couple notes i took about when you did your interview with george knapp was like that kenneth Ring, you know uh, studied near-death experiences and alien abduction accounts and then eddie fuller tied in the alien abduction to the shamanic experiences in the 80s. So that's two clues there that something is going on. This is all happening in another realm. Is that is that kind of, I mean, like, it, but yeah. I've heard people say it's physical sometimes too. So what are your thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's sort of one of the main points that I try to get across in Ecology of Souls is that, Man, these NDEs look a lot like these abductions. Look a lot like these shamanic initiations. Look a lot like these psychedelic trips, and you know, even look like some cryptid encounters as well. So, what what does that mean? Like, how you know, are, are these things all going to the same place? Um, and you know, I, I've kind of come to suspect that what you suggested is is what's going on. There's some sort of, for lack of a better term, astral quality to it. And you know, people, the most common thing that people push back against is the exact same issue that you that you addressed the physicality of it. Right. Um, you know, because people do have things like scoop marks and we do have um, things like uh, implants, depending on how much you believe in that stuff. Uh, there's some compelling stuff out there. Um, people do seem to uh, believe that they have been bodily taken aboard craft. You know, most, most of the time people are levitated, but there are plenty of stories where people just walk right on board. I think the problem with sort of trying to think of things as all being spiritual or, or metaphysical versus all physical is is really the problem that we're running up against here. Um, I don't think that those boundaries are as well defined as we like to think they are. The example that I always give, because whenever I talk about Bigfoot and suggest that Bigfoot might be something other than a flesh and blood creature, people will say, well, ghosts don't leave footprints. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) go back and read your parapsychological literature, and you'll see that one of the first ways that people used to do ghost hunting was to put talcum powder on the floor and wait for footprints to appear, right? So we have ghosts, which I think we would all agree if they do exist are non-physical interacting with the physical world. Somehow, you know, they slam doors yeah. and all sorts of other things. Um, Psy phenomena, if you think that exists, which is something that I'm very much convinced does seems to have this interaction and impact in two ways, sort of exchange between the physical world and, and the mental non-physical world. So I think that's the real problem that people need to sort of, uh, well, <laughs> in my perfect world, people would get up to speed on, I'm not trying to sound judgmental. Um, But uh, I would say also, um, we have a lot of examples in the spiritual literature where um, people who are experiencing spiritual things will have physical after effects. I mean, a classic example of that is stigmata, where people actually take on the the wounds of Christ, you know, bleeding from the hands, crown of thorns, that sort of thing. Um, So it doesn't seem like those definitions are quite as strict as we would like to think. Now, this is all fine and good when you're talking about people, right? You know the idea that oh, well, if maybe if there's some sort of wound on my astral body, it'll be reflected on my physical self. But you do have stories, and I've got to admit this: you do have stories of of people who claim that their entire car is taken up. So do cars have souls? Um, I don't. I don't know. So that's 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 at least one data point among many that that would suggest that something else is going on. But you know, I tell you what: a lot of these ufo experiences a lot of these abduction experiences sound very much like out-of-body experiences so maybe it's maybe it's not an all-or-nothing answer maybe some are physical and, and some are metaphysical or in the astral realm as you
1: suggested what, what are your thoughts on like i i know I, I follow nathaniel gillis i like his research and i know he talks about how you know like at, at times like demons were able to mani- and he seems i think he said i don't want to quote him because i don't know his research like the back of my hand but i know he says that like in the alien abduction he thinks that they might be trying to manipulate the soul and i've heard other people say that that the greys are trying to reproduce soul um it, and it, does that go back to fairy lore too? Has it always been the soul? Is it? Do you think a soul is a major component in this? Well, I mean, you know, the number of
0: alien abduction narratives that you read that have some sort of discussion of the human soul, I mean, it's, it's really striking once you dig into it. Um, it. It seems like they're very much preoccupied with our souls. They're not some sort of, you know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Arthur C. Clarke stuff, but they're they're not these Arthur C. Clarke emissaries of of atheism. They're very much into metaphysics. It would seem, at least. um You see that all through Whitley's work. You see that through the work of um I believe it's uh, Nigel Kerner, if, if memory serves. Um, a lot of people have suggested that there is some sort of soul based component uh, to these alien abductions, and people have certainly encountered dead loved ones uh, during their experiences aboard UFOs. Which is another reason that I wanted to write these books. Um, but to your question about how far back that goes, it does appear to go um, back into to fairy folklore. Um, one of the things that is probably a little bit over popularized and it wasn't actually a, a folk belief as much as we think it was, but to a certain degree in Scotland, there was this belief that every seven years, the uh, fairies would own a de- would owe a debt to the devil they would owe a debt to hell and they would go around collecting souls to sort of pay off their debt every seven years. Um, Now, exactly why that was um, is a little bit difficult to say because the early church conflated fairies and demons quite a bit. Um, You know, in some retellings of what fairies are, they were the uh, angels, you know, too good for hell and too bad for heaven, or the ones who fell to the earth after the great war in heaven. Um, In reality, they were. No one really knows what they were, but they're probably some sort of mixture of lesser pagan deities and, and the human dead. But there was a relationship between um, sort of fairies looking for human souls. And, uh, and, and, and that seems to be reflected, again, as so many other things are in, in a lot of this modern abduction uh, stories.
1: Do you think that the phenomena is wearing a different mask? Do you think the phenomena has been the same thing all this different all this time? And like, and then what would you say that means for the different aliens? Because, sorry, this is I'm kind of going all over the place with this. No, no you are great. These are great questions. <laughs> what I was saying was, you take a hard stance on the extraterrestrial phenomenon, and you know, there's like the major kinds we get reports of, which are like the Grays. But then you get rep- reports of the Nordics, the reptilians, and the. Uh, Mantids, you know. Mm-hmm. So, like, what are your thoughts on all those? Do you think that we have? And and but, like, going back to like the fact that you know, like, Keel, John Keel said that he 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 got past the ET thing. He thought it was coming interdimensionally. Is that what you is is that what you think? Kind of. Well, so that, that's a really
0: good question, and and I, I I'm sympathetic to the idea that this is the same phenomena shifting masks, and you know, people hear me talk and they they think I'm saying that you know aliens are fairies or fairies are aliens and I, I don't think any of those are really accurate for what's going on i think they're those are both you know culture dependent labels that we are doing our best <laughs> to wrap our brains around this thing which is probably unknowable you know as far as these different um these different uh types of of entities are reported during in the ufo literature um i always get hung up on something that it just bugs me and i i Maybe I'm small minded, but they're, they're almost always comparable to something here on earth. You know, I mean, uh, uh, the Nordics look like <laughs> blonde people, um, the grays, you know, I think there's an argument to be made that the grays sort of look a bit like a human corpse. Um, but, but even if you set those aside and say, well, maybe those are actual aliens, like why do we have, um, you know, reptilian aliens and mantis-like aliens, and uh in, depending on who you believe, bird-like aliens. Right? Why are they? Yeah, not- I just wanted to say yeah. if you if using yeah. to
1: Daryl Sims. Daryl Sims says, like, if you look at the, all those aliens, like, the DNA comes from Earth. Like, mm-hmm. so he thinks that they're being made or cloned. Like, if you talk to Daryl Sims, he thinks they're being cloned somewhere. Like, so and- yeah,
0: there, there does it, there does seem to be some sort of connection to to us and whatnot. Um, yeah, I, would, I totally agree with that. The, the thing that the thing that I discovered over. The course of my research is that like a lot of these animals um that you know show up as as humanoids in these ufo reports have an intense death symbolism around them i mean the the, the bird one would be a, a great example i mean birds are one of these classes of uh of animals that we would refer to as psychopomps, which, you know, depending on the culture, all around the world are the sort of animals or other figures, sometimes deities, sometimes folk figures, that usher you over that threshold to the other side. Um, Similarly, in some cultures, um, there was a belief that reptiles did the same. The, The moche in Peru actually felt that there was an iguana psychopomp deity that would take you over to to the other side um mantises also have um, some spiritual ramifications for uh some some African tribes as well so I just you know it's I, it kind of makes me wonder if it's not just sort of another expression of this older weirder thing that we've been interacting with um and you know I I probably am a little bit too uh I have become a little bit too um hard on the extraterrestrial hypothesis. Uh, but part of what I like trying to do is just trying to get people to think about this in in different ways, uh, because so much attention is, is given to the extraterrestrial hypothesis to the extent that people assume that that must be where they're coming from. There are other ideas, like you alluded to, the interdimensional hypothesis, sort of this ultra-terrestrial idea, um, that I find quite attractive as well. And I sort of want to shed some light on some of these other ideas just so we can be open to whatever this really might be.
1: Yeah, I agree. Now I mean like and I, I mentioned this bit like Keel was 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 big on the interdimensional hypothesis, right?
0: Yeah, I mean uh, he, he was the one who sort of coined the, the term ultra-terrestrials and uh he <laughs> excuse me. I'm getting over that 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 bug that I had. Um, he probably, like a lot of us who end up abandoning the extraterrestrial hypothesis, hung out with the occultists for too long. Um, but, uh, you know, people will sort of take that ultraterrestrial idea that Keel put forward and sort of apply the interdimensional thing to it. And, you know, I'm sympathetic to that. Um, uh, but at the same time, I think that we, as sort of a, a modernized culture, Think about dimensions in sort of the wrong way. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, the essay of, of Flatland, but the idea is that you know you've got this two-dimensional person like on a piece of paper, and if, if you put your finger on the piece of paper, the the stick figure is going to see a circle. They're not going to be able to comprehend the entire finger. And, and people tend to think of that's that's really what dimensionality seems to be. And trying to think of higher dimensions than you know, three or maybe four really does sort of break our brains, but. We, in, in, in sort of our modern science fiction and whatnot, we think of a dimension as like a, a place or an alternate reality that you go to. And I'm not sure if that's as entirely accurate. What what a lot of these people who are describing, you know, sort of inter- interdimensional hypotheses seem to be talking about is basically a reinvention of what a lot of ancient people would call the other world or the spirit world or something along those lines. So I'm a little bit more of the attitude, if it's if it ain't broke, don't fix it, <laughs> you know um
1: yeah so. no i agree um so we w- going back to this um the kenneth ring studies of near-death experiences and alien abduction accounts i find this fascinating like um because again this goes back to the fact that something's happening in another realm like i do believe abductions are very physical but it seems like there's a lot of things happening in like a astral type dream scenario um and that's kind of where the near death slash out of body experience world plays out it seems mm. like right i don't know
0: yeah uh, you know it's when you first get into this you know you want to have these things in these neat little neat little uh, silos you know you want to have them in these neat little boxes and you keep them all separate but then you start hearing these stories about you know people seeing jesus aboard a ufo or people seeing as i mentioned dead loved ones aboard a ufo or people seeing conversely gray aliens uh, or, or ufos in their near-death experiences and you're kind of like why are you why are you putting your chocolate in my peanut butter here <laughs> you know why, why are these things mixing up like this um and, you know, well, wait, I just
1: want to ask you, do you think yeah. that the worlds are finally mixing? Do you think like because remember, like the UFO community used to be like real nuts and bolts. But I think like with people like Whitley Strieber and Jock's fillet and John Keel and stuff like that have kind of set the tone for researchers like yourself. I think people are starting to accept um, different theories now as to like, you know, that the paranormal, the death and the UFOs can all be related. Do you, do you think that's finally starting to merge?
0: I do think that that dam has been breaking for a long time. One thing that a lot of ufologists entertain now that I don't think they ever would have, say, you know, 15 or 20 years ago as much, as much, um, is the relationship that altered states of consciousness seem to play. Um, But if you look at some of these stories about DMT use or ayahuasca use, some, you know, even psilocybin use, they all sort of carry the same sense that a lot of these, you know, um, abduction. Uh, narratives do and maybe that's just what we're seeing is that you know there's an effect on consciousness of all these experiences that looks the same but it it is it is being more it's more openly discussed and it's being discussed in a way that isn't quite as you know at one point if you mentioned this stuff at the ufo conference you were a new ager and it's like go play with your crystals (laughs) um at the same time at the same time you know that uh I, I sort of saw this trend happening and uh that new york times article came out in what was it i guess 2018 um you know the the big one that everybody talks about and again immediately the discussion was back on things like you know what sort of uh a- anti-gravity do they have what sort of propulsion system is on the craft and i'm like you know it's kind of, it's it's for me, at least, it was it was, it was was a disappointing shift back to this nuts and bolts focus that I had seen, even in the short amount of time that I was involved at, at, at that point, I'd sort of seen that shift towards entertaining these other sort of more esoteric ideas, and I feel like it sort of course-corrected the discussion a bit. Um, you know, in the years since then, I, I'm, I'm very, I've come to grow very happy about the uh, sort of level of discussion that that's encouraged, but... Uh, and in, in, you know th- there is sort of an openness to a lot of these stranger ideas uh, that there wasn't uh, before. You know, having said that, <laughs> I am still very unpopular <laughs> among some quarters of the uh, the UFO community. So I don't know exactly how open they are to it, but I, I think it is. It's 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 more than it was like 20 or 30 years ago from what I can gather about the
1: community. We, we have a question from the audience. This is a little bit off topic, but I just want to get your opinion on it because it's a hot topic in, in the community today. And this is like the idea of the soul trap and the simulation theory. Like what does this tie into your research at all? Do you feel like we like live in a simu- do we have a simulated reality and do you think it's a soul trap?
0: Well, um, so I don't think it's really that off-topic because you know I I was working with my editor on this, and she's like, you know, ecology of souls, a new mythology of death and the paranormal, and you know, we get everything said and done. She's like, you know, it's not really about death, right? It's about death and life, and really, it it turns out being about reincarnation uh, because some of the reincarnation research is really compelling stuff from Ian Stevenson and Jim Tucker at the the, uh, University of Virginia. But uh, you know, there were also these stories that I'd run into from time to time, about pre-birth memories aboard uh, aboard UFOs, and those always kind of made me feel icky, like they're just a little bit too far out there for me, but I said, you know, no, Josh, these these stories aren't going away, like you've got to address them and look at them, and, and I kind of think that there's something to it at this point, and that perhaps reincarnation is, is part, of the, uh, part of the duties that are assigned to whatever these things are. You know, I don't really know what they are, but... I think that somehow that plays a role. You can see that through the fairy mythology. You can see that through some of the UFO mythology, UFO literature as well. Now, as far as this this reality being, you know, a simulation or a soul trap or something, um, my main problem with the, um, with the sort of simulation hypothesis is that we're, we're basing it on what we would do in this world. I still haven't found a really good way to articulate this, so let me know if this doesn't sound clear. But we have this idea that, you know, Maybe when we die, we wake up and we take off our virtual reality headset, and we're like, "Wow, that was really cool." But like, it's that higher reality is by definition like should be completely alien and unknowable to us. So just because we would like make video games and virtual reality in this world, that doesn't mean that would is necessarily what would be going on in that higher state of reality. That and the fact that you know, simulation theory seems to sort of just basically repackage a lot of older theological ideas um, in this sort of vaguely scientific packaging um the other thing that you know as far as specifically to that idea of, of this planet being you know a soul trap or this existence or this reality being a soul trap um you know i personally from a personal practice standpoint kind of ambivalent on it um but uh that idea uh has found its way into the community and i always like to sort of try to go back and find like where the earliest ideas come from because sometimes they come from surprising places the idea that fairies are nature spirits comes all the way directly back to theosophy at the uh end of the 19th century like i alluded to earlier um but that idea of like this reality or this some um, planet being some sort of trap or place of imprisonment uh can be traced back to you know those early christian gnostics who believed that this was sort of a prison existence being ruled over by you know uh archons at the surface, service of the Demiurge. So um, that doesn't mean that's not what's going on because for all I know, it could very well be the case, but uh, I think it's always important to sort of be aware of where these older ideas are coming from. Um, So yeah, maybe, (laughs) you know, we see that that
1: doesn't say, do you see a lot, do you think we're getting a lot of recycled ideas that people thought of in the past? Like, were these things that like, I know this was what Charles Fort was talking about. Like Charles Fort was uh, really ahead of his time. Correct.
0: Yeah, so um, one of the things that Fort talked about a bit were the, these ideas that um, ways of thinking would go through these periods called uh, called dominance, so like a dominant of science or a dominant of witchcraft or a thing. And it wasn't that um these ideas would become more popular; it's that in sort of this this Fortean perspective that these these ways of looking at the world would literally become more true. Which is a weird and subjective way of looking at it, but that's kind of what he was getting at. Um, now, to that extent, the idea—you know—are are a lot of these ideas. Even if you set aside that really wild idea, are, are a lot of these ideas sort of getting recycled and repurposed? I mean, I would say, yeah, you know, <laughs> I mean, I mean, was it like thirty or forty years before Ancient Aliens took uh, first aired on History Channel? People were talking about Von Daniken and Cherry to the Gods. Um, you know, I think that there, there's a certain cyclicality almost to the way that some of these more spiritual ideas come and go. Um uh there's certainly uh, a consistency of the messages throughout a lot of these experiences that seem to always speak to the to the biggest threat at the time, right? So you look at the 50s and 60s where all the contactees were getting these messages about nuclear winter and you know, nuclear holocaust. And uh that we don't get so many of those anymore. You know, we get sort of climate change or vague catastrophes now um from people who've had these experiences aboard ufos so the phenomenon seems to be adaptable i think it probably changes with our cultural expectations our cultural um our cultural beliefs um so yeah I, i think that can be applied not only to the phenomenon but also to the researchers and there are these certain ideas that tend to ebb and flow but it's always the same you know 10 or so ideas um that get that get sort of trotted out. I mean, I I can't claim that UFOs have something to do with death as a novel idea because, you know, I'm I'm sure that the Chaldeans or the the uh the um the the Nubians, (laughs) any of these ancient peoples from from uh, the old world uh, would have thought the same thing. You know, they'd see something strange in the sky and they'd 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 assume that it had something some sort of spiritual purpose. So it's not really a new idea in and of itself either. It's just how these ideas get packaged and try to get um incorporated into a new climate is really what's going on. I think
1: I I, got another really good question. It was from Beth. She says, have you ever researched or looked into like group abductions? Because she had an interesting experience. She was taken aboard a craft with, um, a bunch of people of uh, her friends and she remembered it. it's a it's an amazing story and then also if you talk to daryl sims daryl sims talks about like the mass abduction of 92 which happened where a mass group of people got abducted and they were taken aboard craft what are your thoughts on the group abduction
0: well i, I found them really compelling I mean, you know my favorite group abduction is probably the uh the Avis abduction. Sometimes you'll see it written down as the Avely abduction because they were sort of trying to hide the names of the, uh, the participants. But that was, I believe in Essex. Um, and I believe that was in the seventies or eighties. I can't remember, but it was, you know, an entire family that was taken and they all, all had their consistent stories that emerged. Um, but, you know, the question always lingers. Um, how, how unique are the abductees? And I've kind of settled on this idea that, uh, that um, Preston Dennett has talked about for a while. Which is this idea that um, we probably all have something like this going on in our lives? It's just the people that we deem abductees or experiencers are the ones who remember it. And uh, what I find really interesting about that is, um, you know, if you take a look at that and you look at sort of these, some of these experiences as happening in the astral realm. And then you start thinking about like, okay, well, where do we, where do we go to the astral realm every night? <laughs> it's when we sleep, you know, it would seem to be that there would be a connection there. And there's a close relationship between, uh, death and sleep, uh, throughout history in a lot of these different cultures. Um, I think it was even in, uh, Greece where, uh, death and sleep were, were brothers to each other. So, um, I, I do think that this is something that happens a lot and happens probably in mass. Um, but we just, we just don't realize it.
1: That's fascinating. Um, One thing I wanted to cover with you uh, was uh, Robert Bigelow from the NIDS Institute. He's really put forth a lot of interest in like kind of mixing the worlds of UFOs and death because he put he studied a lot about UFOs. Then he recently had a uh, serve. He had people do a thing where you could submit your story about Mm -hmm. like, you know, proving that the afterlife. I I was just going to ask you, what are your thoughts on what like Robert Bigelow has done as far as like these subjects?
0: Well, you know i I really appreciate the fact that he was willing to put up that prize uh for that that uh i believe it was an essay contest um and there was another one that I just saw uh although I think that one might be sponsored by someone else but um but i i think that i think that it's interesting that he would have had such a vocal interest in the uFO phenomenon and then he goes and looks at whatever's at skinwalker ranch, which is a whole other thing that we could address if you wanted to, but probably better to just leave it aside right now because it's becomes well, dangerous. I mean we can we can talk but,
1: about it because I'm gonna talk about cryptids in a minute. Okay. So def- definitely I'll put that to the but, side. That's stuff definitely yeah, I definitely want to yeah. pick your
0: brain on that. Yeah. Put a pin in that. Um but uh I think it's interesting that you know he, he has this interest in UFOs and he goes to skinwalker where it just seems like it's a smorgasbord of, of everything that happens. And then there's sort of this new interest in, in near death experiences. And I think that is is sort of telling I'm not saying that he necessarily um, has the inside scoop on what's going on, but, uh, it would seem to suggest that he perceives a connection just as, you know, Kenneth Ring did, um, excuse me, and just as a lot of other people have. I, I, um, you know, this, this kind of brings, it's a good point to address something that a lot of people who push back against the idea that UFOs have something to do with the dead. It's a good, good, good point to bring this up. You know, people will say, uh, you know, well, why there's a conspiracy to cover up UFOs because we can't handle the truth that there are extraterrestrials. I'm like, okay, yeah, but that's that's a small truth compared to the idea that no, you really do have an immortal soul, and whatever happens, whatever we can do to punish you in this life doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Like that's that's a civilization-ending idea um, if it gets confirmed at the highest authority levels. And if you look throughout time, you know, the biggest um, conspiracies, the biggest sort of um clamp downs on populations always had to do with you know spiritual revolutions um you know from the top down sort of sort of authority structure there was always this effort to suppress religions um so you know i think that might have something to do with the amount of secrecy you know the the <laughs> the, the people in the three-letter agencies um get get a hold of whatever this ufo tech might be because there's obviously a physical component to it and they say oh this is this is even bigger than we thought we can't we can't let this get out you know Um, yeah
1: yeah that that's fascinating okay so uh i wanted to get into cryptids and skinwalker ranch what do you think is going on at skinwalker ranch because a lot of people studied it and like it's very interesting right like yeah i mean well one big thing that goes on there a lot is cattle mutilations and i can't i can't get over cattle mutilations like um, I, I don't know what they're doing it for. I have no no reason. But, like, if you want to riff on Skinwalker Ranch and mutilations, it, I'd love to pick your brain on it.
0: Well, yeah, the thing about the mutilations that I always find, well, number one, you know, <laughs> pick up Stalking the Herd by Chris O'Brien because um, that's sort of the definitive uh, look at it and all his work with David Perkins. Um, I think a lot of these, a substantial amount, because that's the thing that we <laughs> – I'm sorry, I'm all over the place. When we talk that's about okay when we talk about these topics we all want them to be one answer and they're really probably multiple different answers for things there is there is a component of the cattle mutilation story that i think is very terrestrial um probably has to do with monitoring um toxins in cattle uh a downwind or downstream from certain sites um but but anyway chris has covered all that his stuff um but there's also a component to the cattle mutilation stuff that's really just wild and sort of inexplicable. And the question has been offered that you know if this is just to collect genetic samples, why not just break open a, a you know a, an abattoir? You know why 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 do this over and over and over again?
1: Yeah and, has, and li- yeah and not just and, and not just like not just like it's not like they're just mutilating the cow like they're taking the eyes they're taking the genitals yeah. they're su- they su- they're taking all the blood they're bloodless you know what mm-hmm. i mean like I, I i i don't agree with everything Linda Moulton House says but like i will agree with her on that that they're very bizarre you know well, and- And, 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 but, but but to me, to me,
0: that, that hints at like there's some sort of other motivation behind it rather than like collecting genetic material. I mean, it's the example that I always give is, you know, we, we talk about aliens taking DNA samples. And, you know, I don't care if this was in the 50s or it's today. Like, a lot of times there are these like comically huge syringes and drills and all these like goofy, like invasive methods for collecting DNA. And I'm like, I can go down to CVS and they can swab the inside of my cheek and, and get DNA. So like, why is this civilization coming from, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of light years away with all this sort of really kind of, quite frankly, primitive technology? So it implies to me that there's some sort of other motivation behind that, or or it might be what's actually happening might not be what we're actually seeing. Uh, With the cattle mutilations in specific, I have some ideas, they're kind of weird, they're kind of esoteric, and I kind of have to like, (laughs) I address them in the book, but you kind of have to build a case for why it doesn't sound as goofy. I think I suspect that they might be something along the lines of, of offerings. Um, whatever this phenomena is, it's been doing it for a while. You can find some examples in uh, in you know rural Ireland in the uh, 19th century, the 18th century, of, of cattle that were quite frankly mutilated. <laughs> and it was who was it blamed on? It Was blamed on the fairies, right? So let's we've covered cattle mutilations. Um, I rambled about that enough, but um Skinwalker Ranch i have so i distinctly remember like laying in the bathtub reading <laughs> Hunt for the skinwalker and just loving that book and being fascinated by the story it's, an amazing book. Sure. it's a great book um i'm just not sure how much we can we can do with skinwalker right now um because i think that there has been such a history of shenanigans and confusion and uh it's, it's kind of like roswell in that respect you know what i mean um the waters have become so muddied with with so many different stories, and and quite frankly, you know, government or uh, you know military interference. I guess I should say. Obviously, there was something strange going on in the Uinta Basin. You can find stories, you know, far predating the, the Skinwalker Ranch story that really do point to that fact. So obviously, it's a strange area. But then you find things. You know, it was it was in one of uh, Jacques Vallee's journals. I can't remember which, but there's a a little footnote that you can find. And when you trace the footnote down to the bottom, you can see where he says, you know, he makes a reference to the NIDS team. And he makes a reference to some curious language. And uh, I believe if memory serves, somebody can fact check me on this, but as as, I, as best I remember it, Valet references that some of the security guard contracts uh, from NIDS to work on Skinwalker Ranch uh, waived all liability for the testing of non-lethal weapons or something to that extent. And you'll hear these stories time and again sort of come up from Skinwalker. So that opens up a lot of questions, doesn't it, <laughs> about what people have experienced yeah. since then? You know, is, is, was this like the staging ground for them to use, you know, the Havana syndrome technology, if that's what it was, or something along those lines? What I suspect and, and what I have come to believe is that um, The Ranch is Strange, a lot of those stories were on the level. Um, Colm Kelleher, George Knapp, on the level. But at some point, this again, this is just my speculation. At some point, uh, someone said, "Hey, we have this strange tech, and it looks like this is a genuinely strange place. Is could this be a place where we could test some of the stuff and have plausible deniability? You know, oh no, we weren't shooting our microwave ray at you. That was a spooky ghost. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that might have muddled the waters. Again, I that's that's purely speculation on my point, but on my part. But I think that it might go away to sort of reconcile the high strangeness at skinwalker with obviously this obvious, you know, uh, government military interference, uh, that we've been seeing, but you know, uh, they have, uh, the skinwalker show is actually pretty darn good. Um, and they're getting anomalous readings from there. Uh, you know, part of that's probably, uh, the meddling of TV producers, but I think part of it's genuine. And i I've, I've Familiar with some of the individuals in the program, and I have no reason to believe that they um, would compromise themselves um, to that extent. So I, you know, it's just a big question. That's that's why when I mean, we went to Ranch, I was like, oh. yeah, yeah. I, I love
1: I love your theories. I love the fact that you're a little bit skeptical on things. Like one thing that, and I'm not trying to get like um, graphic, but like if you you once said one thing you said was that the aliens tend to use like primitive technology, which is funny because I remember. When Jim Sparks, if you remember the abductee Jim Sparks, he told a story where, like, he said the the he'd be, he would be he said the aliens would induce a sex dream, and then he woke up from it. He realized that he was dreaming, and he woke up, and there was like a like a a, a mechanism on his genitals, and they were trying to extract semen. Yeah. Like, you would think that there'd be a different way they could do this, right? I mean, like, I don't know. It, it, it's it's kind of like you said. Like, why would they come so far and use like? i mean would you what are your thoughts on that well i mean yeah i
0: mean so let's say that these things were visiting us they did they do come from another planet and they were you know these extraterrestrials were visiting us i don't know 500 years ago right they still would have a level of technology better than what we have today i would think right because we can't travel that far but but these 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 this technology has always seemed kind of kind of goofy like you just alluded to and that's not me saying that these stories aren't true i think that there's i really do suspect that there's something to to do with all this it's like all about theater and all about like oh well you have you have to believe in this as much as you know for this to work whatever this is you know um so that's why some of these experiences are terrifying and some of these experiences are uplifting you know there's one of my favorite quotes um from an entity was the Herbert Schirmer abduction uh, from Nebraska? I can't remember the year. I believe it might have been the 80s, but it might have been earlier. Um, but he was taken, he was a he was a police officer and he was taken aboard the craft and he asked them what these things, he said, What do you want of us? You know, what do you want of us as people? And uh <laughs> the alien said, We want you to believe in us, but not too much. <laughs> and that's again, if true, that's such an interesting thing to say. And what does that imply about? the importance of belief and all this
1: stuff, you know, um, people, people yeah. claim. Yeah, go, Sorry, go ahead. No, I was, I was going to say it's weird. And then if you throw cryptids into the mix, like we mm-hmm. haven't talked about cryptids yet, that's a whole other like thing that cryptids almost make me think that something much stranger than we could ever imagine is going on because like, you know, I think Bigfoot and Dogman are really provable. I mean, I don't have any proof of them, but I mean, I hear things. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on, Those two, I mean, I know there's a a a a medley of cryptids. There's the yeah, you know, like the Thunderbird, the you know, like all kinds of stuff. But the two that I mainly focus on are Bigfoot and Dogman. What do you think's going on with that?
0: Well, you know, some cryptids probably are, you know, flesh and blood creatures. Um, Others, I'm 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 more skeptical about, and even Bigfoot, I've kind of grown to be more skeptical about. Citing a lot of those skeptical, you know. the skeptical comebacks that you hear. Like, honestly, we should have a body, you know? And I'm not saying that there aren't circumstances where, you know, people will say, oh, you know, people don't often stumble upon bear carcasses or cougar carcasses. And I'm like, yeah, but people have (laughs) in the course of human history. But at the same time, you know, I talk to these people, um, sober, rational, normal people, um, holding down normal jobs who come to me and they talk to me about these things because they don't have anybody else to talk to. And they say, you know, I've been hunting in the woods for you know 30, 40 years, and I saw this and it was not a bear, and this is exactly what it was. And it's like, well, you know, how do you how do you make those two things sort of play together? How do you make them live together? And when you take that and couple it with some of the high strangeness that does happen in Bigfoot reports, um, it suggests that at least sometimes Bigfoot is not a giant monkey, but it's also not just liars and you know, people with great imaginations either um there does seem to be at least in some cases uh sort of paranormal bigfoot for lack of a better term better better term now here's the really confounding thing though um i would argue that every other discipline you know <laughs> the ghost hunters the the ufologists the you know um Anybody who looks at any other topic, they have Bigfoot envy, right? Because the evidence for Bigfoot, the physical evidence is just so good. You know, it's not just like it's not just we have footprints. Like we have footprints with dermal ridges, and here's a mid-tarsal break that you see in other primates. And it's it's super compelling. But, you know, there are these, there are these stories that are still out there that suggest that something stranger is going on. And there are um, you know, there are there are stories, uh, but not only the stories that something stranger going on, but like there are some very rational skeptics out there who have some really good points about us not having a body. So now here's, here's why I get to ha- get to, I get to have my cake and eat it too. Right. Um, so are you familiar with the work of uh, Mike Cleland? The owl? No. Guy? no.
1: Okay. You, you
0: should, you should talk to Mike. He's a, he's a great guy. Um, he does great work. Um, he has, I think three books out now about uh, the connection between owls and UFOs. And it's, it's an old connection goes back a long way. Um, And there are plenty of people who have seen, you know, owls in conjunction with UFOs, or they have a memory of a three foot tall owl uh, before or after a UFO sighting, they'll see an owl and then they'll see a UFO or vice versa, or there seems to be some sort of relationship between the owls and the UFOs. So sometimes the owls are are strange, you know, as, as Twin Peaks said, sometimes the owls are not what they seem, right? But you talk to Mike, and, and Mike is the first person to say, but there are also, you know, flesh and blood owls. It's just that sometimes whatever intelligence is behind the UFO appropriates the image of the owl for its own ends. And, and I think that maybe, you know, if, if I want to have my cake and eat it too, as I, as I mentioned earlier, Maybe there is a flesh-and-blood giant relic hominid out there that's just a very small population, and it's just another one of these animals that the UFO phenomenon decides to pick up on uh, for screen memories or something like that. Because, you know, you hear these screen memories of deer and screen memories of, of owls and probably rabbits too, and other sort of birds. So I, I sometimes I wonder if that might not be what's going on. Dogman, because <laughs> you asked me about Dogman too. Dogman's a different story. Um, You know, I can... I can mount a very convincing case. I don't even need to because plenty of, of better, uh, better learned people than I have, but I can mount a very good case that Bigfoot has a an antecedent in the fossil record. Right, there are Bigfoot-like things that we have discovered uh, in the fossil record. Um, there's no indication of divergent or convergent evolution between, you know, human beings or primates, even and and canines. It's just you're, you're not going to find it. So that to me suggests that something stranger is going on with Dogman that isn't of sort of the flesh and blood variety. Now I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you might not be able to shoot it. <laughs> I'm just saying that comes from somewhere else it is not it is not uh it is not native to here i don't think um and there's something you know you can call it magical you can call it a cult you can call it metaphysical spiritual whatever you want to call it there's something about dog man that is stranger you know you put that together with like man none of these dog man stories are are, are happy you know <laughs> very few of them are are positive stories but at the same time people do see these things so you know i much as much in the spirit as we were talking about earlier dimensions and other worlds, you know, dimensions and spirit worlds, if fate broke, don't fix it. Um, I kind of just fall back on, you know, dog men being basically werewolves in that classic sense, um, which, you know, bef- you know, th- there were some examples where werewolves would be a person that was given like a garter or a belt that they put on and they actually transformed into a wolf or like a, a wolf humanoid. And sometimes it was, Spells or potions, Um, but there was plenty of medieval literature where the werewolf is not um, a physical transformation of a human being. It's more like the person's soul is leaving the body and wandering about as a wolf. And in in an example that sort of uh, reminds us of our earlier conversation about, you know, these physical wounds on abductees that might be happening in, in the astral realm if you were to inflict a wound on the soul in it's werewolf form, the wound would be mirrored on the, the sleeping owner's body, the owner of the soul. That's the way that you would sort of determine who was a werewolf. You know, I shot this werewolf in the arm and he has a bullet hole in his arm after he wakes up. So again, it's, it's that interplay of uh, spirit and physical, not being as separate as we've been led to believe they are.
1: We we got a question from the chat. I, I just, this is uh I, this is Beth again. She says, uh, She says, this is interesting. She says, didn't Mangdala, the German scientist from World War II, need to do experiments trying to make hybrids? Do we know anything about that?
0: I'm not entirely sure if I've heard that. I have heard that there was a, and I'm not saying that 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 didn't happen, because I'm just saying that I don't know. I am familiar with a Soviet effort um, to inseminate women uh, with chimpanzee sperm. Uh, in the hopes oh my would, God yeah in the hopes that they would actually be able to create a, a half human half chimpanzee super soldier that is a thing that's pretty well covered I'm saying that now I'm gonna look it up to make sure that I'm not misspeaking. <laughs> but i um, but uh yeah no that's
1: so uh, interesting I've actually never heard that before like I'm so glad she yeah. asked that question and brought that up because like I have never heard of that before that's so interesting yeah the uh, the
0: Russian biologist's name was uh ilya Ivanovich um. And that, that was definitely a thing that they did. Obviously it didn't work, um, but yeah, it was a thing that they did.
1: Yeah. The last question I have for you is more is about the Collins elite, because I think that's something we need to talk about. Um, th- can you talk about the Collins elite and why you decided to write about that?
0: Yeah. Um, well, first of all, Nick's book is so damn good. <laughs> like it's it's, a, it's It might be the best Nick Redfern book that's out there. And that's saying something because he has so many. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the Collins elite was this group of uh, sort of, I would I would probably call it a confederation, sort of like a loosely affiliated group from what I understand, of people who were involved in the military who came to the conclusion that uh, the UFO phenomenon was not extraterrestrial in nature, but rather demonic in nature. Um they came to a lot of the conclusions that a lot of other people, myself included, have sort of come to over the years, including the fact that uh, you're more likely to contact these things through altered states of consciousness than you are through you know, radio transmissions or something like that. Um, but by all appearances, the Collins elite was um, well-placed, had no shortage of funding, and lingered on for a very long time. Um, I believe in the in the book if memory serves nick said that uh he suspected that some form or fashion the collins elite was sort of still going about its business um they suspected that perhaps you know that sort of modern era of the flying saucer the post kenneth arnold era era was ushered in by jack parsons uh the founder of jet propulsion labs who was friends with that nasty sob alistair crowley um yeah, i was
1: just gonna say that yeah, yeah.
0: And uh, you know they did the uh, the the Babylon working, and there was this idea that maybe you know Jack Parsons opened the door to allow things in here, and that's why you have the UFO era explode. I don't. I'm not really sympathetic to that interpretation, uh, because there's plenty of UFO stuff before them. You know, you just keep going all the way back, and you find strange things in the sky, strange people from the sky. Yeah, I
1: agree. Um, but, what, you, yeah. what I was going to say was, uh, it seems like uh, it, okay. How, how do I say this? Like, it seems like government involvement in UFOs almost proves the case that UFO. I mean, I don't think we have to prove that UFOs are real, but if you look into the government involvement, like the Collins Elite and MJ Twelve, it almost shows a, a paper trail of how long they've been researching this this, uh, well, this subject, and they take it very
0: seriously. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I say when I when I talk to my friends about like telepathy and remote viewing. I'm like, okay, well, you might not believe in it, but you've paid for it. Like your tax dollars have paid for this stuff. Yes. So yeah, you 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 bought some of it at some level, so to speak. Um. So yeah, it's it it says that there's something going on, and there's something going on that you know while while I can't entirely say that it's non terrestrial or or not human, it seems to suggest that there are that a lot of Earth's organizations have no idea where it's coming from, uh, whatever that means. Now, I ended up talking about the Collins Elite um, because when you're talking about sort of like UFOs being related to the afterlife, it seems appropriate to talk about sort of all the different metaphysical forms that people have attributed to UFOs. And you talk a little bit about angels and demons. Um, I don't think that UFOs are demons. Um, I think it's more complex than that. It's Part of the reason that I like sort of the fairy mythology is because you know there were some good fairies who were overwhelmingly good most of the time and there were some bad fairies who were overwhelmingly negative most of the time but there was a broad range in between that were kind of just like free agents right you know they would they were they would kind of be good or bad depending on their own disposition and how you interacted with them and that's something that you know we don't get in christianity we don't get in the sort of angel demon polarization it's like it's either good or it's bad and there's nothing in between and that doesn't really seem to be what the phenomenon is to me um seems to have a lot of room in the, in that sort of middle spectrum that uh that you know where where things could be good or bad but but at the same time like you have to say yeah there's there's a lot of similarities between uh, what we once called demons and what we now you know call ufo's so, yeah, so what, I have one to story it. that I
1: find amazing. I'm sorry, I, I, I had no, to good. tell you this: the story of Alan Lammers. It was a it was an old Whitley Schreiber episode. I I'm, I can't find this guy. I wanted to get a hold of him. Basically, this guy Alan Lammers. He lived in Bali, and he was in this place called Siloeci. He was setting up radio communications there, and he was told by the 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 uh, the, the the village people there to not wear any colors okay and he had to wear like black and white he said because people sometimes get taken by these entities these aliens like they they live there's some kind of inner earth being that lives out, out there in that part of the world and they would take people they, they take people sometimes they bring them back sometimes they don't bring them back so they have this like i guess this is tying into what you said that it seems like this phenomena has like a a love hate relationship with us, or maybe they don't look at us the same way as we look at them. Like maybe them taking someone doesn't mean that much to them. They, they feel like they can yeah. take us anytime yeah. they want. I don't know. Well, you
0: know, I mean, that, that's part of what, you know, if, if I can say that I'm proud about ecology of souls, I think that it, it puts humanity back in, in the, the center of the phenomenon. And look, for all I know, like this, this phenomenon may not really be as interested in us as I think because the only thing we have to go on are human experiences but there does seem to be a, a human component to, to a lot of the stuff and I think that you're right I think that they're very much interested in us Um I find that fascinating about the colors because you know that was that that's something that pops up in David Pilatus's missing four-on-one stuff and it's something that pops up in the fairy literature too that like certain colors should not be worn because they attract the attention of whatever these other things happen to be
1: yeah. I I, that, I I found that fascinating. Um, I don't have any other questions. Is there anything else you want to cover about the, your book, the ecology of souls that we might've, we might've not touched on.
0: Uh, yeah. So I, I, I'll, I'll sort of give a, a brief sort of overview of the whole project. Um, so, uh, I just wanted to do the book on UFOs and death and the more I looked into it, the more I was like, Oh, this kind of does seem like it has to do with everything that I'm interested in. Honestly. Um, so yeah you talk about near-death experiences you talk about the shamanic stuff you talk about the the fairy interactions but you also go into to places that i never thought i would um like lake monsters have some connections with death um bigfoot does in the book mothman obviously um so a lot of these cryptids but also things that, like i always had a real interest in them but i never knew really how they fit specifically things like ley lines and um and these ancient monuments and ancient earthworks like the, you know, the mounds here in the U S or a lot of these, you know, stone circles or, or fairy forts in, uh, in, you know, Europe. And uh, so, so it ends up kind of, that's, that's why, you know, as, 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 uh, what's the word as uh, pompous as the, the subtitle a new mythology of death and the paranormal is, I, I felt like that was the only way to, to sort of broaden the spectrum enough to be like, this kind of addresses everything and. It, the thing that surprises me is that a lot of these different puzzle pieces play together really well. Um, And it's allowed me that the journey has allowed me to incorporate a lot of the things that I just couldn't make sense of before. So um, volume one and volume two, that's the book. Uh, There is a third piece called the ecology of souls companion. um, But uh, that is available for free on my website. Uh, And it just contains the, Bibliography, endnotes, and three appendices. Uh, part of part of that logic was like, honestly, the companion is that thick anyway, and it's already split into two books. So I was like, let's not make these any longer than they need to be. So, so we, we separated out all the endnotes and all the reference materials in the companion. But if you buy both books, you shouldn't have to, you know, buy a third one just to get the references. So, the same thing is on my website for free. So, um, uh that's that's the way that it's sort of structured so volume one and volume two are the just are the, the full ecology of souls set and if you know if you look at it on kindle um it's one book it's just one because that's really what it is i mean the chapters continue through both volumes it's just one book um so that's available on amazon and it's also available directly from me if you uh, send me an email i offer a discount for people who buy uh two or all three together and i'll sign them and send them your way Uh, mostly mostly in the u.s i get a couple of requests for uh for international shipments and it's always a kind of a headache with with with, uh postage but yeah for in the u.s definitely that's the way that works so
1: that's awesome well can you tell everybody your website and how to find you so they can get your books and um and thank you for doing that i thought this was so much fun this was a really good episode i thought this was a really good show like thank you
0: oh no this is this is a blast um i I really had a good time like i said it was gonna go quick (laughs) um my website is joshuacutchin.com That's J-O-S-H-U-A-C-U-T-C-H-I-N.com. No S, just one cut chin. it has got all sort of the information that you need about me and links to all of my interviews and, uh, and places where you can reach out to me directly for books. So.
1: All right. Well, um, thank you. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in tonight. And uh, until next time, and we'll, we'll, we'll have to do this again. Uh, thanks, Josh.
0: Thanks so much. It was a pleasure. All
1: right.